look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, Faisal. How are you? Not bad. I got kind of excited with all this good weather we had, and then yeah. kaboom. Yeah, winter set back oh, in for a little winter, bit anyways. Winter is here. Gosh, that's crazy. Let's not dwell on that. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's too painful. How vague is too vague in your ah. estate planning? Did you know there was a really cool case? Um, if you can fight over the word as simple as home, okay, people have to spend a bit of time thinking about this because nobody wants to give the gift of a lawsuit. People went to court to <laughs> fight over a word on a will, and you said this is cool. Okay. It, it is cool. Poor people it, had to, like, not poor people, but these people had to actually go and fight for the word based on the definition of the word home. Right. So, so We've got to remind people cool. about this. Okay. Because people think wills are as simple as the spirit. You know what I wanted just to go 50 50 the kids? Not oh, nay, nay. Not good enough. Oh, nay, nay. Too many okay. problems there. We'll talk about that. Yeah. What happens if you over-contribute to an RSP or a TFSA? Do you know how many people actually do this? This is It's unintentional right. uh, most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. And, um, and, and people don't realize that there's a, there's a penalty to pay, and we want to educate and inform people that you know don't just uh, let it slide. There are things that you have to do, and, and time is a key, and, yeah. and we're going we're gonna to bring in our experts to, uh, well, to discuss that. And if anybody thinks the Canada Revenue Agency has a sense of humor, well, stick around. You might find out otherwise. <laughs> okay. Um, and this is the, the, so the the last segment of the show today. I want to do. We're going to talk a little bit about the, the you know people that frequently check their balances lose money, lose more money. You lose more money the more you look at your investment. We're going to talk about that. Interesting. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, but let's uh, let's start with the uh, the week uh, in the markets. Okay. Um, I'm going to call it "Don't Fight the Fed Week." <laughs> yes. Okay. Very interesting what happened this week. So you were on the news. How much did you talk about <coughs> trade wars versus oh, uh, quite a bit, okay. quite a bit. It came out that, okay, Mexico, they got to figure things out. They met, they met on Thursday. They met on Friday. They're trying to figure things out for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Because come Monday, mm-hmm. 5% tariff on Mexican goods. And now Monthly you're, you got a whole bunch of politicians upset because a whole bunch of businesses are impacted. A lot of the dealings when it comes to Mexico are business-to-business uh, movements. Yep. So it's it's actually hitting both sides yep. of, the, of that ledger. And so now it was coming up. And that was the fear. And then the Federal Reserve comes out and says, okay, if this trade war happens more, we might have to cut interest rates. Yeah, to keep the expansion alive. And then everybody, like they just had three Red Bulls in a row, hooray, and they start jumping up and down and the markets take off. Right. And then on Friday, Mm -hmm. the Canadian jobs numbers were fantastic. Mm Mm-hmm. Higher than expected, mm-hmm. unemployment rate at, at a low since 1976. But the U.S. one that was reported, who Disappointed. Very disappointing, which was on the backs of the, the ADP numbers, which is a payroll company. Yeah, private. Yep. And their numbers were dismal. Yep. And so this now pushes the probability that the Federal Reserve will lower interest rates in July. So on Thursday, you came into my office and I said, it's better than bad, mm-hmm. so it's good. That's right. And the markets took off. Yep. And so this is where we're at, that if, as long as we've got enough stimulus. Stimulus, that's right. Either fiscally, which was the tax cuts, um, monetarily, which is the Federal Reserve, mm-hmm. or trade, then things are good. We're going to continue going along. Right. 
But if we're going to be able to neutralize these issues, such as lowering interest rates, well, then that's a good thing, and let's continue moving in the, an upward direction. Right. What scares me about this is the risk of something going wrong. Correct. So, you know, I, I, I found it interesting. I wasn't uh, reporting the news this week. It was you, uh, but it was fascinating to watch. Even on Friday morning, when the disappointing jobs numbers came out, then you saw futures immediately turn into... In, into the red, right? They went negative. I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. That's that's just going to support the Fed conclude the conclusion the Fed's going to cut rates, and then we had this, you know, big rally in yeah. the morning. And you know, it's just uh, there's so many levers, right? Here's the problem: is when people become fixated on one data point or one event, um, they tend to forget and miss all the other levers in various economies that can be pulled that have different effects. Now, what can happen if you pull the wrong lever? Well, so right? that's interesting because, uh, you know, think about the, the, the trade war. So the Trump administration decides to slap a tariff on, on um, Mexico. It, those escalate all the way to 25% by the end of this year, October-ish. Um, so they've inherently enhanced their risk in, in, in the economy, in the global economy. Correct. Through adding additional taxes, costs, and... Uh, complexity for supply chain. So if there's a, um, uh, what, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of, a policy mistake, that lever is pulled and it's an actual policy mistake. Or not touched. Correct. Fed runs out of bullets, right? One of the criticisms of, of the Fed right now is if you respond to bad policy decisions. So if you were on the side that said, this is bad policy, apply tariffs for an immigration issue, Okay, if you felt that was bad policy and the Fed is now trying to save bad policy, well, at some point when you run into a natural recession, the Fed may actually not have the tools available to provide the stimulus at that particular time. And you've nailed it. When it comes to retirement planning, investment planning for your retirement, yeah. you need to be aware of all these different levers that can be utilized. But when it comes to management of your money, right. you ask any manager out there, that has a fiduciary responsibility to their investors, to their clients, the first thing that they should be saying is risk mitigation. Right. Making sure you have a proper risk for the return that profile. you're getting. Risk profile first. Okay. Right. So what we worry about is not when things go up. What we worry about is when things go down. Yeah. And it's the degree of down that we're concerned about. Right. So that if there is a mistake, and attach any probability you want. Right. The impact to someone's retirement right. magnifies. Right. Because people don't see it in the first 10 years of their retirement. Right. They see it in the next 10 years or 15 years after. Well, what the, I'm, I'm just going to qualify that a little bit financially in the numbers. But I, I do think people feel it, see it immediately if a portfolio drops. And they cut their spending or they change their lifestyle. Right. So it's not just the longevity of the money that we talk about. It's the emotional impact of your lifestyle that and you want to And the stress level. And we're going to have right. a conversation later today about that. But, uh, but I think this is where people need to go back to what's the fundamentals. And we actually did a piece. Well, you did it in the beginning of our seminar where you show two people investing on the same day mm -hmm. with the same amount of money in two different portfolios. One was lucky. The other one was unlucky in the early, early years yeah. of retirement. Yeah. And they were depending on this market right. that has the gyrations as it does. Right. And because they were unlucky, they literally went to zero. Right. 
And that may not happen in reality. People will change their lifestyle, right. possibly. Right. Possibly. Or they could go to zero. And that either direction, change of lifestyle, right. change of opportunity, because there's a lot of things in the future that you have to worry about, or going to zero are all devastating to an individual. And you compound that effects with aging, you compound that effects with other things going on in a person's life. And I always worry and wonder, why would somebody have to go through this unless they, all they have to do is put proper structure. Well, and, and so that's a good segue. Um, let's wrap up this segment. But this is exactly what we're going to talk about um, uh, at our upcoming seminar, yeah. right? Is is the complexity of the environment that we're in, the need, the complexity in the the goals and objectives that retirees have for their money, right? Versus 25 years ago when they were so building complex, it. So complex. Exactly. All of these things fundamentally change the way you need to structure a portfolio to make sure that you don't suffer the whiplash of what these markets present to us. And let's just remind everybody when that's coming up. Yeah, that's going to be on Tuesday, July 23rd, 7 p.m. at the Four Points, Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary. Give us a call to register at 966-8400. That's 966-8400 or go online to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. If your goal is not to leave behind a legal battle for your family, stick around because we're going to talk about how language is important in your will. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with David Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. One of the buckets we talk about, uh, which is an, an, an important bucket, is legacy. Yep. And sort of the key to a good estate plan is your will. And... Uh, so I run the legacy bucket uh, for the most part on our team, and I do a lot of these meetings with people, and I'm astounded by a couple of things, Faisal. Uh, maybe three things. One, how old wills are, so they haven't been updated. Mm -hmm. Two, how many just handwritten wills there are. And three, how many people actually don't have a will. So there's levels of, of problems here. <laughs> but even when you have a will... Right, so some people think it's you know I'm just going to save some costs. I'm just going to write a I write a will. The problem is um, the, the will is about the gift that you want to leave behind, and sometimes ambiguity uh, in a will can lead to more problems than um, than anyone could anticipate. It's funny because when you look at what's also part of a will, it's a legal document. Right, and yes, you can put a legal contract in handwritten notes and. and and go from there. But I, you know, when you ask somebody, did you draw up your own paperwork for your house? Yeah. Oh, no, no, I used a lawyer. Why would you use a lawyer for that? Well, because it's a house. Right. Well, this is your estate. Isn't your estate more than your house? Right. Why would you not want uh, a legal document? Um, and I think that we should get legal advice on this and make sure it's drawn up properly. Well, it's important because people think, like, it's, let's just say it's mom and dad and two kids. And, you know, the spirit that mom and dad want is I just want the two kids to get it. Right, just 50-50, that's it. Yeah. I just have to put that on paper, right? That's what I want. That's my yeah, wish. Just, just write the words 50-50. <laughs> to the kids. And then to the kids and then sign off on it and you're good. No, you can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> can't do it. And Which, it was an interesting case that came out. Super interesting. So when we read this case, it came to our attention about uh, the, the definition of a word. One word. Yep. And one that's pretty obvious, right? <laughs> Everybody knows this word. So let's talk about this word and what it really means from a legal perspective and how it got challenged right? and what came out of it. I so think people will learn a lot from this and why the importance of making sure not only are you having a legal document, but you have a document that really means your true intentions. Right. Who knew that the word home was so confusing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Catherine Zhang is <laughs> joining us again today, a regular contributor to our show. Catherine is associate at Welsh LLP. Catherine, welcome back. 
Hi, Faisal. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. Well, we're excited to have you on this one because, you know, we, we sort of give a little preamble at, at the beginning there. And, I um, mean, you do this uh, for a living, but we're constantly surprised sort of to see the, the state or lack of state of affairs um, and thinking that perhaps goes into wills. And as uh, Faisal properly said, that this, these are legal documents and, and they're in place and designed to ensure that the gift the spirit of what you want done upon your passing is actually executed effectively with the least amount of resistance, least amount of ambiguity, and least amount of fighting. So let's just talk a little bit about how important is clear wording in your estate planning. It's so important. Um, I mean, as you guys talked about uh, the case that just came out of the Albor- about, sorry, Alberta Court of Appeal, mm-hmm. Hicklin and Hicklin, um, talks about the importance of um, clarifying what your intentions are for the home. So in that case, uh, the father um, in his will said the home is to go to his two kids and the residue of the state being um, anything that did not include what he had specifically bequested in his will uh, was to go to his brother. Uh, And there was a fight about whether home meant just the actual property, uh, so the building and uh, the land, or if it meant all of the contents in the home. And so, um, and often that is what people will fight about is the um, the personal assets that aren't really tangible and usually aren't specifically listed in the will. Um, so absolutely being clear in what your intentions are is absolutely important. Now, uh, who knew, right, that you could fight over the word home? Again, I'm sure if you're driving, listening to this this morning, you think home, what, you know, the case you just laid out, it was pretty obvious to people, like in their own mind, whatever they were thinking was clear. But the well, point well, let's is... let's ask you, what did yeah. you think? When you first read the, and heard the word home, did you think of the stuff inside no, the home? land and structure. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Right. But clearly that's not everybody's that's interpretation. That's not the case. How far do we take this, Catherine? So um, so we agree now that, that, boy, if we can't even necessarily agree that what we all think of it as home is what a home is, how far do you go and, and how do you avoid maybe too much complexity? Yeah, and I, I think that's really important, particularly when you're not leaving your assets just to one person. Um, generally speaking, um, I know our office, when we draft wills, we, we address personal property because that is often um, the, the nexus of where a lot of disputes come from. So how does that personal property get distributed? Um, the other instance where it's really important to figure out is if you have a new spouse who's living in your house um, and you've got kids and you want to distribute the estate to your kids, you want to be very clear for all of the beneficiaries involved if your intention is to leave that home or house or primary residence uh, to your spouse for their lifetime use, uh, are they going to be entitled to keep that personal property inside the house? Because often kids want to come in and uh, take what memories they had of mom and dad growing up. Uh, And so absolutely, that's something you should be uh, putting your mind to. Um, We generally, also in will drafting, tell clients if you know that there's a specific item in your estate that you you know beneficiaries are going to be fighting about. So if it's yep. jewelry, if it's um, a painting, if it's a family heirloom, take the time to make a list or name that specific piece of property um, in your will uh, because the will becomes a legally binding document. If everything else is just stuff, have a very clear paragraph on, generally speaking, these are the people that I want to have my personal items 
and they can, amongst all of them, agree or, um, or you know, come to some other satisfactory solution, maybe selling uh, the items uh, in order to distribute them. Now, this case that we were talking about earlier mm. um, kind of had a weird twist to it. So let me kind of confirm for me that this is the actual the story behind it. So when the brother was under the understanding that the contents in the home goes to him. Mm-hmm. The the child believed that it was the house and the contents included. It wasn't until a close friend of the deceased testified and said that in, according to their conversations, everything of the house and the contents was to go to the child. Did I catch that? Yeah, that's correct. And so what happens if you end up going to court over a word like home uh, is the court has to determine whether or not the will on the face of it is clear in uh, what that word is supposed to mean. If the court decides that no, the wording in the will is not clear on its face, then the legislation in Alberta gives the court the ability to look at what we call extrinsic evidence. And extrinsic evidence includes statements from both, um, in this case, uh, the deceased's best friend, but also um, testimony from the brother and the sisters and the drafting lawyer, for example, on what the testator um, intended at the time. Now, um, you're absolutely correct in this situation. Uh, the case points out um, that the justice put more weight on the best friend's testimony. And that's, um, he references in the decision, uh, a lot to do with the fact that the best friend didn't have a stake in um, receiving anything or receiving any property uh, in this estate. And so um, from the court's perspective, his testimony was non-biased. It was reliable, um, and it. Uh, one of the things that the best friend had said is he had always intended, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, over time. So, yeah. So, so think about how much struggle, pain, pay, you know, all this work you got to go through. Yeah. First of all, to take it to court, the, yep. the court of Queen's Bench made their decision. Then you have to appeal it. Right. Like all this process, if you just wrote down a bit more clear of home and everything in it goes to my kids right. according to the friend right. then it would have it would have solved and saved thousands of dollars cuz your kids still go to court like yeah. you, if yeah. your intention was to give everything to your children Dave, right. and then your children have to go to court to fight it there's still court costs there's still fees there's still no, lawyers no, yeah. bills and Huge. and so on and so forth that you have to pay just to defend your position that you knew was the right decision to to begin with yeah yeah Catherine, can you can you actually ask for some reimbursement of those costs if you win uh, yes, the court is less likely now just to allow parties to go ahead and um, uh, expense the litigation or any court applications on the estate. And so what they do now is there is an assessment on, okay, what was the reasonableness of um, the court application? Was the court application necessary? Um, and one of the questions the courts do ask now are, uh, was there anything about the testator's will um, that was ambiguously drafted or unclear that 
could that actually maybe did cause the litigation. Mm-hmm. And so in that instance, yes, the litigation, um, if the court finds that it was, a, you know, in part due to the testator, it would come out of the estate. Uh, but if there is an unreasonableness on one of the parties in bringing the application, yes, the successful party can ask to get a portion of their uh, costs paid uh, from the other party so that it's not affecting all of the beneficiaries. Catherine, we have to leave it there. Thanks for your analysis and your input on this. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Been joined by Catherine Zhang, an associate at Walsh LLP. Uh, if we haven't convinced, or if you weren't convinced before, hopefully we've convinced you now that if there can be ambiguity over the word home, you probably should take some time to make sure that you've expressed accurately and as clearly as you possibly can. But that could be with anything. Home, cottage, no, boat, whatever, like 100%. my car. Which, yeah. if you have three cars, absolutely. Which car are you talking about? Right? I'm just talking about the big gift. Make sure, like, you got to put a little bit of thinking. Be specific. In this. Yeah. Draw it up properly yep. with a lawyer. Yep. Get the proper advice. Make sure that a third party person can, if they read it. That's why you do this. You yeah. read the wills. Right. And when you have that conversation, if it doesn't make sense to you, you bring it up. Right. So, and you're you have no. Uh, uh, I'm not a lawyer. No vested interest in no. it. So if it can, yep. and it, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm reading way, the interpretation. If right? it's simple for Popovich, it's simple for everybody, <laughs> and that's how we should be doing it. <laughs> All right. On that note, for sure, let's remind everybody that uh, we're going to be hosting a, an upcoming seminar here, in which we're going to talk about, amongst other things, sort of the legacy bucket and where it fits in the big picture of bulletproofing your retirement. Yeah, where there's a whole bunch of tax going in the event of your death. How do you actually profit and protect, and how do you minimize that tax bill? We'll be talking about that on Tuesday, July 23rd, seven p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel. That's in the West Calgary. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. There can be big penalties if you over-contribute to a TFSA or RRSB. Stick around. We're going to talk about uh, the rules and how to do that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Sometimes it's not about more than money, my friend. Uh, we're going to talk about TFSAs and RSPs for a minute uh, because we, uh, you know, we see on occasion people running into over-contribution problems. Yeah, and, and time to time, again, people do have that. Accidentally, they, they make a contribution and they, uh, they put too much in and, and they don't realize it until they get a note from CRA saying, you better act on this. Yeah, they tend not to have a sense of humor about that either, but uh, we're going to explore that just a little bit. Jamie Golenbeck's with us again, uh, recurring guest, of course, Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC Financial Planning Advice. Jamie, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me back. So let's maybe just start with some of the common reasons. Like, uh, why do, you know, is there, is there uh, other than just a mistake, but is there some reason why people are making over-contributions? They just don't know the rules? What is it? Yeah, I think people know the rules. I think people just get confused and uh, and they make mistakes. So they're not keeping track of their uh, over their contributions on an annual basis. They're not really paying attention to their notice of assessment, which has the uh, the amount of their contribution room. In some cases, they're dealing with multiple advisors at multiple financial right. institutions, and they forget that they've already made it. In some cases, they make it early in the year, and then they get all the advertising the 60 days after the end of the year, and they make another one for the same year. Uh, it can become very, very messy. And then in the case that I just wrote about in the, in the, in the paper, there was a situation where an individual actually had a pension at work and uh, received a pension adjustment, which, of course, reduces your RSP contribution room. And, of course, that individual didn't keep track of the pension adjustment, didn't pay any attention, and got into big trouble because he just contributed the maximum every year without taking into account the pension adjustment. Okay, well, let's talk about that. So what happens when you over-contribute? What, uh, what kind of problems creep up? 
So well, the biggest problem, of course, is the over-contribution tax. So that tax equals 1% for every single month that you're over-contributed, uh, other than a $2,000 uh, leeway. So if you're over by $10,000, the first 2000 is fine. The other 8000 attracts a 1% per month penalty. So that's 12% per year. And I even have someone write to me and say, well, you know, I, I, I'm doing really well on the stock market. I can beat 12%. Do you think it's a good idea? Remember, the 12% penalty is after tax. So depending on your tax rate, you really have to have like a 24% rate of return on your investment in the RSP uh, to really make it worth the while to get, to get this penalty tax. So that's the biggest problem. Then, of course, there's the obligation to file uh, an over-contribution return every year, which is separate than your tax return. If you don't file that return on time, there's a penalty for that. And then there's interest on top of the whole thing. And interest accumulates uh, on top of these uh, at rates of, of 6% on, on taxes owing and, and also on the penalties and the interest. So you can get into tens of thousands of dollars of taxes and penalties and interest uh, after a couple of years. You better be pretty confident about that stock market performance. You want to be taking on that kind of risk. Yeah, I would think in most cases that's not what happens. I think in most cases it's a, it's a mistake. Uh, we can call it an innocent mistake. Siri doesn't care about innocent mistakes. Uh, they're brutal when it comes to assessing these. And there's very little mercy. And in the cases I've written about, they said, too bad, uh, unless you've got some extenuating circumstance in your family, death of a family member, disability, you know, something where there really is a true hardship, just making a mistake is not going to cut it to get out of the penalties. Well, and I think that's it. The uh, you know the conclusion is is that CRA does not have a sense of humor about these things. Uh, you have written about some uh, specific cases, so can you speak in general terms about? Um, it doesn't have to be just that case, but um, uh, you know, c- typical cases that that people get themselves into, and and sort of what it might cost them. You know, an average Canadian if you make this mistake. Again, uh, it really depends on a specific situation. People over-contribute. It depends on when the over-contribution is caught. You know, if it's three years down the road and you've contributed, you know, thousands of dollars, that 1% per, per penalty per month could be 36 months, 46 months. So we're talking significant, significant penalties and interest uh, on top of that and then penalties for not filing the annual returns. It can be a mess. So I think the most important advice that we give people is know your RSP contribution room before you make a physical contribution. Get your notice of assessment. If you don't have it, go online. Go on the CRA My Account feature. You can see your notice of it. You can see your notice online. You can see your contribution room available online. And so what happens after you've realized you've over-contributed? What do you have to do to kind of get that money out of your RSP or your TFSA without causing it more of a problem? Yeah, you got to take it out immediately. As soon as you notice that it's over-contributed to stop the penalty tax. Again, there's very specific rules in terms of the time limits of when you take it out. If you take it out very quickly, like within a year, and again, there's strict rules. You may be able to get a deduction for the amount you don't include in income. Uh, there are very specific rules that you may be able to take it out without the normal withholding tax that the financial institution will apply. But again, uh, I would check uh, with your advisor in terms of uh, what all these rules are and the time limits. Ideally, you want to take it out as soon as possible to stop the over-contribution tax. Jamie, I want to thank you again for your time and you know, raising awareness, continuing education about these, uh, these important issues. Absolutely. Thanks again. I've been joined by J- uh, Jamie Golenbach, Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC Financial Planning and Advice. Um, you know, 
the CRA uh, d- does not have a sense of humor. Like, yeah. the, and and yeah. and and ignorance of the rules is is not a defense. Yeah, there there really is no defense re- uh, when it comes to this, and it's amazing how many people every year. Anecdotally, from our clients, will make an over contribution either to a TFSA or an RSP, and it's not like they're intending to do anything with malice or anything. But they just it just slips their mind, or they got the wrong number, or they read it wrong, or something like that that happens, and they've over contributed. The the most common theme when it comes to the RSP is that when they have group RSPs at work or a pension at work, and then they're trying to they get their notice of assessment, they forgot they made a contribution in one spot, and they make it with us, and then. They get this letter from CRA and then they're all panicky saying, how come we didn't know? Well, your advisor does not know what your contribution room is. Your advisor or your financial institution cannot automatically make a deposit into your RSP or TFSA without your authorization because you're the one that's supposed to know your your contribution room. So just be aware of those types of things. We kind of tend to say, well, you could have known that information. Um, there's a there's a Chinese wall between between well, us and Revenue Canada. We are not allowed. The best person to go to is either like like Jamie said, go online or go to an accountant. Yeah, and and I think uh, people need to understand that. As an example, one of the things that we'll sometimes get criticized for in the New Year's, we send out reminders to people to call us with your contribution room, right? TFSA and RSP, and it seems inconvenient to people, but time and time again. People have to understand that you could literally, and I've had this so many times, just have been down at the bank sometime, and they said, "Oh, you know, we've got this good deal. Put this, you know, GIC into your R, into your uh, TFSA," and people do that and forget about it immediately. And then if we if we were to make an automatic contribution, you're in an over contribution, you know, you're in the mess that Jamie discussed. Correct. Right. So um, you've got to work with your advisor to make sure that this is being done properly. And let me assure everyone that. To unwind this is a pain in the butt. Yes. It is not an easy process. There's paperwork to fill. There's a there's departments you have to go through. Your, institu- your financial institution has to be involved. CRA has to be involved. You might even have an accountant that has to get involved. And that might be accounting fees on top of that. Yeah. So it's for that extra you know amount of contribution. But just to, you know, do a check. Uh, it, it might it, it can cost you a lot more on the way out. Yeah. yeah. So unless you like penalties, paperwork, and problems. Just make that phone call or check your NOA and make sure you got the right there number. You go. All right. Uh, we've got a seminar coming up. Um, I mean, we're going to be talking about all of these items. Like structure is important, right? Following the rules and is important. But it goes beyond just you know what knowing what your contribution room is. How about how do you take money out of an RSP? When do you take it out? Yeah. How much do you take out? And how much tax are you going to pay? Yeah. We're going to talk about how you can minimize or even negate tax through retirement on Tuesday, July 23rd. 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary. You need to reserve your seat, so give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Okay, stick around after the break, because if you think you're doing yourself a favor by looking at your balances every day, you may be surprised to find out that you could be actually costing yourself money. Tune after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, pretty interesting article that came out. Good research project. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, you know, people like me have no life. We read stuff like this all the time. Right. Here's the, here's the title. Okay. <laughs> so, How checking performance might hurt your performance. Okay. Got our attention. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, for those of you listening, ask yourself the question, are you that person? Do you check your balances every day, five times a day, once a month, once a year? Who are you? Right. Yeah. Because... There's a potential problem 
if you check too frequently. So what do you do with your, your portfolio? I don't. I don't look. I mean, I, I, it's tough to see you and I, I. We're here every day. I don't look at my accounts, right? I know what I'm invested in, and we're invested like our clients. I know what's going on, um, but I, I, I don't look at my, I don't look at my accounts. Yeah, I look at the balances of my portfolio once a year. Yeah, my December thirty first. Right. Just so I can see, and I keep it in a in a binder. So I just look it over year over. Yes, I keep a binder. It's paper based. I don't yeah. I don't keep it online for me. I know, um, but it's year over year. I just look at how how things look, just to kind of make sure everything's all right. Again, because what we do, I don't have to look at it every single day or right. month or quarter. Um, but but there's a there's a but lot. We of have people. a range. We have a range, don't we? In, yeah. in dealing with clients, we, we have, have some clients that don't even look at this thing at all, yeah. at all. They don't yeah. even they, they don't have no idea. Right. Um, they're just comfortable investing and doing the, what they want to do in retirement. And on the opposite extreme, we have people that are checking it one, two, three times a day. Yeah. Online, on their phone. You know, they're, they're flying out to their, their, on their trip and they're looking at their, their, st- their balances or their... Or they're looking at what the market's doing and then even worse, they're saying, oh my God, my, you know, if the market's down 3% today or 2% today, my portfolio must be down by that. I must have lost this much money, yes. right? So, so let's talk about some of the problems because of that. And then let's talk about the why people do that. Cause I think it's, it's important for individuals to kind of get an understanding of, you know, you're, you're putting on a certain level of expectation or stress, anxiety that you may not need to. Well, and I, and I want to, I want to float the question, ask yourself, if you're that, if you're that regular checker, what are you trying to gain? Yeah. What, what are you, what information are you trying to gleam on a, on a interday or day by day basis of what the stock market does. Yeah. So, so some of the outcomes, Dave, that that happen to people when they check their their investments or their accounts frequently, is that they may end up being more risk adverse than they should be. Why is that? So when you start seeing the gyrations of the market, and you look at it day to day, and I've I've had a friend who called me up and said, Faisal, my my portfolio went down fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Go, how much did you invest? Well, I've got two million bucks. I go, that's 2.5%. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a lot. It's $50,000. Oh, I get the dollar amount. I understand that's a lot of money. Yeah. So tell me what you're feeling. Well, maybe I should be in some other investment. That does what? That doesn't go down? Right. Yeah. Well, then it won't go up as much. How long are you investing for? Right. Well, 10, 15 years for my retirement. Well, then why, why, why are you worried about what happened today? Or this month. Right? Like why, why, why is today the arbitrary date that you've selected that you have to review it and go, oh my God, right. I have to make a change. What right. else has changed in your life? And I think people forget the perspective. They're looking at the, 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 you know, the forest from the trees and, and, and they're, they're just not looking at the, from 3,000 feet up. They're so in tune to the day-to-day and it makes you more risk adverse. So you might take that, that plunge right. and get out of the market or get out of that investment strategy because you're looking at it and you, don't, you, don't, you can't look at the, the bigger picture. Yep. You know, they also have an opportunity, according to this article, that if you frequently check your investments, you may be misled about the future returns you might accrue. Right. So last year not being a great year in the markets. What if this happens every year for the rest of my life? Well, we had that. I had I had a conversation with somebody, you know, um, and it was a it was a one or a two month period. And it was sometime last year. I can't remember exactly what it was. Uh, But they said, but if we do this every month, I'll be down 57 percent. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that that's true. I guess if that happened every single month, you're right. That that's exactly what would happen. But we never hear 
Oh, it's up, and I could be up 57% for the year. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that because maybe the expectation is, oh, we're up, you know, up 4% in the first month in January, something like that. Oh, gosh, we're going to do 50% this year. Maybe there is an expectation. So, so I haven't heard that. <laughs> what I have heard, though, is, hey, that stock market's doing better than the, this one, so let's just put all our money in that one. Right. They're performance chasing. Oh, yes. So that's a good one, too. Right? Yeah. That's, that's the next piece on this article is that, you know, you're going after one, and oh, the Dow. I heard this from a client before. The, the Dow looks good. Let's just buy the Dow. But that's putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, but that's going well. And then when do we get out? When it's not going well. Actually, the day before it's not going well. <laughs> that's true. That's exactly what that's he said. That's what he yeah. said. Or the day yeah. before it's not going to go well, take it out and put it in the other stock market that's going to do well. And I'm like, well, that's interesting strategy. I wish I knew what was going to happen before it happened. Yeah. By the way, it's a $60 million uh, lotto max. So if you know what's going to happen before, wouldn't you just pick those yeah, numbers? Just and go call get it those in? numbers. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so it's... Yeah. You know, it can also make you unhappy about your uh, with your portfolio, regardless of the actual performance. Like if you're looking at something every single day, right. and this is similar to people who are in a weight loss program. If you track your weight every single day, mm-hmm. it can make you demotivate, even though you're on the right pa- path. Right. Even though you're going in the right direction, to longer term for the betterment of your health. Right. If you track your weight every single day, you are going to make day-to-day decisions and not long-term benefit decisions. Yeah. That also, also happens in your financial situation. Or, yeah, well, and, and your house too. Think about it. You go every single day and check the value of your house. Call a real estate agent to find out how my house is priced today. Yeah. Right? Wow. You, you, you don't do that, right? But, um, but we have a mark-to-market public equity market. So everybody has access instantaneously, instantaneously to the data. But I, I go back to the question I asked at the beginning. What does that information tell you? If the market dropped by 1% today and you own good quality companies, okay, what does that information tell you uh, logically versus how does it influence you emotionally? Yeah, I, I think it's control. It's control knowing what you know. And if you know, you can react faster. Because what happened to a lot of people in 2008 is they kind of said, okay, we'll write it out. We'll wait. We'll wait. We'll wait. And they saw a massive pullback in their portfolio. And then they capitulated, sold out, lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, Mm -hmm. and said, I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to watch it every day to make sure it never does that again. Yeah, that's fair. Right? And that's a reaction. For the people that have talked to me that had to slowly go through our process over the years. Yes. Because it takes time to deprogram what you're Mm -hmm. you're in fear of. Right. But here's some interesting stats that have come out from this article. If you're checking your performance on the stock market daily... Chances are you'll see a loss about 50% of the time. If you check it out once a year, the chances are 25% of the time. Right. And if you check every seven years, I don't know anybody who does this, but let's say they do do this, you'll actually see drops once a year or 1% of the time. 1%, yeah. So So that's the thing. Think about people who who went, went somewhere around the world in 2007 and didn't come back till 2017 right. would not have noticed that the financial crises happened to their portfolio. Right. Would have not known. Had no idea. And that's why you, when you look at those long-term index charts, right, uh, it smooths them out. You see the blips, but you don't see over a long period of time that gigantic fall. It smooths itself out over time. Here was the advice in this article. It says, uh, our advice for how much risk you should take is based on how long you'll be investing for. The longer you are investing for, generally, the more risk you should be taking on. Why? Because over a longer term period of time, right? So we call it the growth bucket, right? The growth bucket has a business cycle to be able to go through. Correct. Now, we talk in terms of 10-year periods because we've done the research about, you know, going back in time. Um, 
What's the highest probability of not having a negative rate of return? It's actually over a 10-year period. In fact, Vanguard did a study on this and they came out and said in 2014, they came out and said, people who keep on checking their portfolios and chase after what to do mm-hmm. actually have a loss in their portfolio between 2 and 4% versus the market. Right. So you're taking a discount to what the market does right. automatically right. by trying to chase. Right. Well, and we, we did a show um, some time back about market timing. Do you remember that? Yep. Right. If you took out, so this was from um, 1997 to the end of 17. Yep. And I'm going from memory here, but it was if you took out the five top trading days of the 5,036 trading days that existed in that period, you cut your return in half. Yeah. Five. Wow. That was crazy. So, you you know, market timing is not the answer. I don't know anybody that uh, can be that precise. And if you get it once, I'm just going to call that luck. Well, well, we talked about Warren Buffett as well. Even he said companies should stop reporting on a quarterly basis because right. we are so short-term tracked right. that they should start to report maybe on an annual basis because then you give the company a full year to do what the proper management's supposed to do. Bingo. And his comment was quarterly reporting forces management to make short-term decisions when they're playing a long-term game. Exactly. And this is investors too. We're in a, you know, especially in retirement. We, we've got to run a pension that supports a lifetime, uh, uh, sorry, a lifestyle for a lifetime. It's a, like a 30-year time frame. But, but this is interesting, isn't it? So we're in a long-term game looking at day-to-day uh, fluctuations. And I, so the emotional impact, we're talking about behavioral finance here, right? And behavioral finance is playing a bigger and bigger and bigger role. And I think people need to be educated about the impact that it can have. And so let's show people how we can mitigate that kind of emotional reaction, the volatility in their portfolio, how they profit and protect in market conditions. We're going to do that on July 23rd. That's on a Tuesday, 7 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in the west side of Calgary. Now you need to reserve your seat, so give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. We've enjoyed spending an hour with you. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770-CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada.